So Alan, if we can put up here, just, sorry, there we go. Great stuff. I'm wondering today, who is the most famous person that you've ever met? And I'm not going to do it like a children's talk. I'm not going to get you to put your hand up and shout out the names of famous people that you've met. But I reckon that collectively today, if we were to think about people that we met either almost by accident or in some kind of scheduled meeting, sometimes people pay for those uh, extra tickets to not only go and see their favorite band or their favorite singer, but to have a meet with them beforehand. Or if you've been standing around after a match or something like that, we would have quite a collection of photographs and selfies of people in this congregation meeting with famous people. But they say that you should never, ever meet your heroes. Because sometimes we hear stories of encounters that people had with their heroes, and the reality doesn't match up to the expectation. Well, in the coming months here at church, on Sunday afternoons, we are going to meet a hero. And he's one of the best-known characters in the Bible. It's David. And the Bible tells us, in fact, the Lord Himself says of David that David was a man after his own heart, which is quite a thing to say about someone. And what that's saying is that this man, David, had a heart for God, that if you want to put it like this, he shared the Lord's outlook. And that makes David someone that it is good for us to meet. So, in this time, when we have had the accession of a new king, and when, God willing, we will see him crowned next May, we're going to think together about Israel's greatest king. And while he's regarded as being a Bible hero, as he's described as someone who is a man after God's own heart, the reality is that David had many struggles and that on so many occasions in his life, he got it badly wrong. And that means that as we look at this man, David, we want to always keep an eye on the future. We want to be looking ahead beyond him to a much greater king who would descend from this man, David. Because what we're looking at these weeks is part of a much greater story of the one who God would send to be our ultimate king and savior. So you can expect to hear much of King Jesus during this series. And here's how this series will work. David is someone who we hear a lot about in the Bible. There are chapters and chapters of stories about him. There is so much that we could say about this man. So, rather than us trying to work our way through all of that chronologically or systematically, instead, we're going to look at his life, taking some titles or descriptions that could be given to David. We're going to think about key moments in his life. We're going to think about relationships that he had and struggles that he went through. 
And on occasions, you will be able to, to identify with some of those roles, some of those difficulties, some of those relationships that he was engaged in. I know that what we'll be hearing about will be relevant because there is nothing that is more relevant to life than God's Word. And I hope and I pray that on many occasions you will leave church thinking, you know what, that was practical, that was useful to the way in which I am seeking to live this week, to the things that I will encounter tomorrow and beyond. But in all of that, always, always keep in mind that we are seeking to look beyond David, that we are ultimately looking at that greatest King of all, King Jesus. So, with all of that in mind, turn with me again to that reading that we have just had from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Today, we think about David the son and the day that the prophet Samuel paid a visit to his family. And the, the central thing, the key thing that we are going to think about and learn about today from God's Word is the way in which the Lord looks at us. We want to, to work out and think about the way in which the Lord looks at our lives. What is it that He is judging? What is it that He's interested in when He looks at us? And just before we think about David and his family, it's really helpful for us to think for a moment about the two people who are mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, Samuel and Saul, not only for the sake of today, but because in the coming weeks, we'll get to hear a lot about these two people as well. And what we discover as we come to this chapter today is that this was a time of mourning. Look at what the Lord said to Samuel in verse 1. He asks him, how long will you mourn for Saul? And by the way, Samuel was a prophet of God at this time, and he was the great spiritual leader of Israel at this time that we're reading about. Saul was the first king of Israel. He had been anointed by Samuel for that task of being Israel's king. Now, we know from recent experience what it's like to mourn the loss of a sovereign. But the thing is here, Saul was not actually dead. Instead, the Lord had rejected Saul as king because of his disobedience. So, Saul was living on borrowed time as a king. And that was the reason why this man Samuel was mourning. He was mourning the king's failure, which must have felt like a failure for him personally as well. But now at the beginning of this chapter, the Lord was saying to Samuel, effectively saying to him, Samuel, dry your eyes. It's time to move on. I've got a new king in mind. But this talk of a new king while there was still a king sitting on the throne, also made this a time of danger. It was a time of danger for Samuel. Because just imagine if people were talking about William becoming our king. In fact, if people were making plans 
for the coronation of William while Charles was still alive. And that would cause a, a, a bit of a stir in our nation. So Samuel knew how dangerous it would be to start looking for a new king while the existing king was still very much alive and sitting on the throne. That's why when the Lord told him to go and begin this process of selecting a new king, Samuel raised a really obvious question. Look at verse 2, and, and he raises the question, Lord, how can I go? Because Saul will hear about it, and he will kill me. But the Lord promises him in verse 3, look at what he says, I will show you what to do. I reckon that phrase is so helpful for us in our lives. The Lord says, I will show you what to do. If we begin to think about how the Lord speaks to us today, we know that it is through His Word. It's through the Bible. In the Bible, we get to see what the Lord asks us to do, but not only that, we find out how He helps us to do that because it tells us about the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we may wonder about the things that the Lord asks us to do, especially as our society changes more and more, because what happens is the Lord, He is unchanging. We know that, and therefore, His Word to us is unchanging. It's solid. It's reliable. But all the time, our society is changing more and more, and it's moving further and further away from the things that God would call us to do, the things that God would tell us to do. So that in actual fact, some of the requirements of God on our lives could be described as countercultural. They go against the culture of our time and our society. They make us stand out. In fact, some people misunderstand those things, and they would describe them as actually being wrong. But here's the bottom line in verse 4. Look at what we're told. Samuel did what the Lord said. That's a wee sentence. It could be, it could be passed by, but it's such a crucial thing for us to see. It is such a great thing for us to reflect upon. In our life, there are things going on that we can't fully understand. In fact, in my life, there are things going on, and I'll be honest, I can't even begin to understand what it is all about. And there are things that the Lord calls us to do which are difficult and which will put us at odds with many of the people around us, maybe even people within our own family. But if we strip this back to its most basic What's going on here? The Lord spoke to Samuel, and he told him what to do, and Samuel did it, full stop. So that today, as we reflect on the place of God's Word in our life, well, the big challenge, are you listening and obeying? Have you obeyed the very first basic thing that it tells you to do, and that is to get right with Him, to get right with God through His Son. 
But let's quickly get to David, because when we first meet him, we see that he's part of a really big family. He's a son of Jesse, who is a farmer from the small town of Bethlehem. And what goes on here in the rest of the passage, up to verse 13, could be almost described like an Israel's Got Talent popularity contest, as each of these sons are brought before Samuel. And that begins with Eliab, and we'll come back to him in a second, and then Abinadab, and then eventually another seven of the sons of Jesse come before Samuel. And each time the Lord's verdict is really clear, it's summed up there in verse 10, the Lord has not chosen these. I wonder what it was like for Samuel, knowing that he was there with a job to do. And each time the Lord was rejecting these sons, and he must have been scratching his head, but the message was clear, the Lord has not chosen these so much so that they ran out of possibilities until Samuel asked Jesse, right, we've exhausted the list. I don't suppose you have any other sons about the place. Yes, there's the youngest, there's David, but he's out in the fields tending the sheep. And when David appears, he's described in verse 12 as ruddy with a a fine appearance and handsome features, but that's not why he's chosen. We'll find out in a second why this youngest son got the nod from the Lord, but God's verdict in verse 12 about David is absolutely clear. By contrast to all of the other sons, the instruction comes to Samuel in verse 12, rise and anoint him. He is the one. He's the one. He's the man. He's the next king. Now, what's this story all about? Well, it's so important for us to see the contrast between how Samuel and the Lord approached this process. So, if we rewind back to verses 6 and 7, if we consider the first son, Eliab, as he stood before Samuel, we get to see, first of all, Samuel's verdict in verse 6, and his verdict is really good. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This must be the guy for the job. Clearly, there's something in Eliab's appearance or in his demeanor that is regal, that makes him look like he fits the bill of being the king. In other words, he was being judged on the externals. But then what's the Lord's verdict in verse 7? so important for us to read and see. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And then this is the key bit of information that applies well beyond Eliab. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see the contrast, the key difference? Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And that's the stuff of children's talks and Sunday school lessons, isn't it? We we, we say this to our kids. I've said that to the kids up at the front on so many occasions. 
It is, therefore, a basic truth, but it must not be a neglected truth. David the son wasn't chosen because of his boy band looks or because he was out in the fields working hard. He was chosen because of something that it was impossible for Samuel and Jesse and the others gathered there to see. What was it about this youngest son of Jesse that made him stand out? Why was he the one who was chosen to be the next king of Israel, the nation that the Lord had set apart for himself? Well, in fact, the answer comes from the Lord. Back earlier in chapter 13 and verse 14, look back at that chapter and verse with me, 1 Samuel 13, 14. And there we read Samuel's message to the failed King Saul. And it must have been devastating for Saul, by the way, but it's important for us to see. Samuel tells him, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and anointed him as leader of the people. And much later on in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Paul when preaching the gospel, looks back on that time, and he tells the people that he's preaching to in Acts 13, 22, after removing Saul, the Lord made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So, as we finish off, a couple of big warnings for us today, based on what we read here in God's Word. The first warning is to do with how we choose people and what we make of people here in the church and in our lives. Because when it comes to the people that we would want to have in positions of leadership over us in church life, when it comes to the people that we would most want to associate ourselves with, so often we judge it by the externals. How they look, the clothes that they wear, the house they live in, the car that they drive, the job that they have, the profession that they hold. But God looks in at the heart that's what he's about. That's what he's interested in. So that ultimately it comes back to each one of us personally here today. The question to ask yourself, do I have a heart that is right with God? And for us to have the right kind of heart, to be people who are truly after God's own heart, well, the Bible tells us we need to receive a new heart. Elsewhere in the Scripture, in the book of Ezekiel, that's the promise that God makes to His people. He promises to give them a new heart, and He explains that He is going to remove their heart of stone and replace it. He's going to give them a heart of flesh, 
Have you received this new heart? A heart for God? So that today you could be described as someone who is after God's own heart? In order to receive this, we don't look to this king who was chosen that day in Bethlehem. We look to a king who came from the line of this king, a much greater king, born in Bethlehem, and not just the king of one nation, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. To find this new heart, we look to Jesus because only He can give you a new heart with God. We're going to make 